0: Well, I hope the tryptophan is out of your system, or like me, you just said, well, we had turkey one day, let's make a turkey gumbo the next. It was really good. (laughs) We are starting a series about Christ. Everything's about Jesus. You know, everything is about Jesus. The grass grows out there because he commanded it to in Genesis. All things were made by him and for him, and without him, nothing was made that is made. So we need to understand that. So this is what we're going to start this week, Experiencing Christ in Christmas. Christmas is everywhere. I mean everywhere. I'm going to show you a picture. They are, they'll, they'll promote Christ if they can sell it. I've never seen this one. The Disney advent calendar and the Marvel advent calendar. (laughs) I was like, man, they have thought of everything. That's something I've never seen before. Hey, if you can get your child thinking about Jesus somehow through that, I don't know. (laughs) But there it is, the advent calendar. But what we want is not to be talking just about Jesus or the holidays. We want to experience Christ. Christ means the anointed. Christ is the equivalent word to Messiah in Hebrew. Christ is literally the anointed, the one set apart, and that's where we're going to be for the next few weeks in the book of Matthew, chapter 1. So turn there, Matthew, chapter 1. Let me set up Matthew. Matthew is the first gospel written. That is not without controversy. There are some views that have Mark written first, but almost all the evidence is Matthew was written first to the Jews with the Jews in mind. This book was overtly a Jewish slant. He starts it off pulling all of the genealogy. You know, you got to read through the genealogy starting in Matthew 1 to pull all of the Old Testament into the person and work of Christ so the Jews can see Jesus, Yeshua, not just as some common Israeli name at the time, that's what it was, but Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Savior of the world. So that is who Matthew is. We know he's the publican or the tax collector. He was called in public while at work and left the tables. They said he took every, he left everything except his paper and pen. He was, if you think about um, a high uh, um, management mind, accountant mind, they are going to be highly organized. He was seen as a traitor because he worked for the Roman government by his people but he was intelligent. He's called Levi also. We know he's Israeli. He was called by Christ publicly in uh, Matthew. We'll look at that. And Matthew 9.9. So, but we got to understand who Matthew was. This Jew who was pulled by Christ publicly, who was hated by his people. All right, I'm going to have to take a deep breath on this one and get some water. Here we go. Matthew 1, 1 through 16. If you are a linguist or have a Ph.D. in English, please forgive me. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, Christ, there is the first time ever penned that Jesus and Christ were put together. He wrote it first, right there. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There are the two covenants made by Abraham first. God made a covenant with Abraham. Is that right? in you all the nations will be blessed. And he made a covenant with David that through you, the king's going to sit on the throne forever. There's the two covenants. Verse 2. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nation, nation begot Solomon. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot King David. Next breath. David, the the king, begot Solomon by her by her whom had been. The wife of Uriah, that's Bathsheba. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot jo- Joram. Joam begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jothan. Jothan begot Ahaz. Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Amon. And Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot uh, Jokonai and his brothers. Je- Jaconium, excuse me, and his brothers, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Pay attention to that. About the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconia begot Shintiel, Shintiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abihu, Abihu begot Elykin, Elikin, begot Azar, Azar begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, Achim begot Eliud, Elihud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathen, and Mathen begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary. We know it's not the father of Christ, it's the husband of Mary, Matthew made that very specific, of, of whom was born Jesus, who is called what? The Christ, the anointed, Don't clap, that was a rough one. (laughs) But we got through it. Hey, it'll get better. You start low and you can't go anywhere but up, right? (laughs) Come on, let's learn something from the eternal word of God. Let's learn something from the publican who was publicly called this tax collector with eyes hating him by the Messiah, the Savior, saying, Come and follow me. And he leaves everything and he discovers this is the Christ. Let's learn something from the man who started and ended and said, That's the Christ. I know. I've worked for Rome. I grew up as a Jew. That's him. That's the Savior of the world. Let's learn something from that man. Amen? Amen. All right, let's look here. Verse 1 The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Anointed. The Anointed. Like I said, the equivalent of Messiah in Hebrew. He calls him the anointed. He calls him the Christ, the first one to do this in the Gospels. He proclaims it very clearly. Let's see who he was, specifically Matthew 9, 9, to learn a little bit about him before we can get to our first point. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. Yes, Jesus changes lives with two words. And so if you remember the demoniac, in the same book of Matthew, he changed that man with one word. In fact, just two letters, go, and his life was changed. Do not think you need many words from the Lord. Well, I've only heard the Lord once in my life. Well, I've, I don't know as many scriptures. Well, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I've gained my life to the Lord and I haven't heard Him in a while. What word do you have of the Lord? Has He pushed and inscribed something on you? Those words changed the heart of a man. Follow me. So he arose and followed Him. And it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So he's going to throw a party, and guess who's going to come to the party? All the people who watched him leave, all these sinners, because Matthew has started a new book. Matthew has started a new book in life, a new recording. He started something new, and everyone wants to know, wow, how's how's this thing going to end? right? You start a good book. You're reading it. You want to see how it ends, right? You never get your favorite movie like, I'll turn it off 10 minutes before it's over. No, that's horrible. You don't want that. Matthew's a wonderful picture of number one on your notes. What record for Jesus are you writing with your life? Matthew's the longest book the most complete in its record and recording. What record am I writing? Pre-Christ, we know all that record, and that's washed under the blood. Okay, Lord, I will leave everything. Let me take my pen and my paper and write what you have done in my life, just like Matthew did. Let us think like that this Christmas season. What record am I writing today, this month, and with my life. You can find this throughout all the Bible, not just right here in Matthew. I'm going to show you an Old Testament story in Isaiah 8. So Isaiah is the Prince of Prophets, 50-year ministry. He is going to give a prophecy in Isaiah 8, and it's unique because it involves his family, and it pulls his family, in fact, his son in. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord said to me, take a large scroll, a big one. You're about to write a very specific record, and in fact, your life is going to hinge on this record, and your son's name and life is going to hinge on this. And write on it with a man's pen concerning Maha Shalal Hashbash, which simply means speed and spoil. He says, look, you're going to Write on this speed and spoil and you're going to have a son and you're going to name him speed and spoil. And this is the prophecy because before that kid can say mama or daddy, the giant empire of Assyria is going to fall. But watch what the Lord tells him to do. Speed and spoil verse two. And I will take for myself myself, faithful, what does that say? Witnesses to record this. They are going to record your life and hold you to it, these faithful witnesses. And you know these names, Uriah, the priest, and Zechariah, the son of the, uh, he's the, he's the, um, I'm drawing a blank now. He's the king. He's royalty. <laughs> these two guys are going to record your life. And this prophecy is going to come true before those kids can say mama and daddy or what happens to a false prophet in Israel. It doesn't go well with them, does it? It does not go well with them. Isaiah took his life and put it on the line as a record of the faithfulness of God, that God had spoken to him and that the actions of his life were true and faithful. He puts his life on the line. So Matthew puts his life on the line. He, he turns his back on Rome. Do you turn your back on Rome? No, I you wouldn't turn your back on a gladiator. That would not be smart. He turns his back on Rome. He says, it doesn't matter what my family, or my, my uh, Israel thinks of me. I know this is the Christ. And let the record state, I'm going to follow him with my life. Come on now. That is Christmas. That is experiencing Christ in Christmas. Let's go back to Matthew and keep looking here. So what record are we writing? Like all the people of God. All right, now I had to smush together three, five, and six. Because in all of this genealogy, there are four ladies. Two are Gentiles. Three have a very checkered past. And they're all named here. Now it says Uriah, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, which is Bathsheba. Matthew includes these ladies by the Spirit of the Lord and very specifically. And remember, this covers a whole lot of time in history. We go all the way back to Tamar in Genesis. From Judah, then we go to Joshua, where Rahab saved the spies. Then we keep going to Boaz and Ruth. And we go to King David and Bathsheba, two Gentiles, three women with checkers past, all saved by faith in God. Why does Matthew include a harlot in this thing also? Why would he put that? He doesn't have to add this. Why does God want that there? Why does God want that right there for all the Jews to know? We, in Scripture, Scripture really interprets Scripture, and there is a reason why he, he put that in there, and it's really found, I'm going to say, in Matthew 21, 28. So that's the very beginning. Let's go to the end, toward the end. This is the last time we find Jesus in the temple. 21, 28. Jesus is in the temple. They go to church. Jesus said, hey, what authority are you doing all this preaching and teaching on? Jesus said, okay, I'll ask you a question too. By what authority was John? Was he of God? Was he of men? What was it? They come to him and go, oh, my goodness. So if we say of God, then they, he's going to say, why didn't you listen to him? If we say of, of men, the Jews are going to kill us because they all think he's a prophet. What do we do? They come to him and say, we don't know. Jesus says, neither am going to tell you. Verse 28. But what do you think a man had two sons and he came to the first son Son go work today in my vineyard he answered and said I will go I will not but afterward he regretted it and went Then he came to the second son likewise and he answered and said I go sir like I'm going to put on a yes sir big show but he did not go Which one of the two did the will of the father They said to him, the first Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you, where is he standing? Where is he? He's in. He's in church, right? He's in the temple. Assuredly, I say to you, who's with him? Who's with Jesus? The disciples are with Jesus. Who is also almost always recorded. It said that they were always with him almost all the time. There's some ladies, specifically who? Mary Magdalene, right? They were even at the cross when most of the disciples weren't. It's very possible she was with there too. Matthew was. Then he said to them, I assuredly, truly I say to you, I want you to see Jesus pause. I want you to see Jesus turn. And look at Matthew. What was Matthew? Matthew the tax collector. I want you to see Jesus say tax collectors. This man you hated and Rome hated and everyone hated. They're going to the kingdom of God. And I want you to possibly him saying and harlots. There is a reason Jesus said that. And theologians think Mary Magdalene was there because he went here. And then he went here. They're going to the kingdom before you. Now I want to tell you, Matthew identified with the lowest of the low. He identified with the broken and hurting and sinful person. That is the reason they're in the genealogy of Jesus loud and proud. The reason they're in there is because he understood that the salvation by grace through faith alone was his. And Jesus stepped up to the plate in the temple and said, that one's in heaven with me, and that one is too, by my grace alone. Amen? That is Christmas. And that's the picture. The tax collectors and the harlots are coming with me because they have come to the cross, because they have trusted in me. Number two on your notes. Saved by grace through faith is our greatest identity. It's our greatest. It's our greatest identity. Is there anything greater? Come on. Is there anything we can achieve in this life in worldly terms, money, education, relationally? Is there anything else we can achieve greater than what God has done for us on the cross? there is no identity you should have higher than that this is why everything else is actually a trap it'll actually bring you into bondage and ensnare you but this one sets you free does it set you free was paul the best of the best was he was he considered the zealous above all of the tribe of benjamin da da da, da, da. had the all he had the greatest resume ever but he said in ephesians 2:8 what did he say? Ephesians eight. For by what? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. No one boasts. My identity, Paul says, is in God's grace. Let me tell you why this is such a big deal, that we think about this all the time. We all grew up in lives or families that are not perfect, whether you're on the bottom of the economic spectrum or the top, and you want, you got to stay there. Don't think rich people have it all. Those kids feel tremendous pressure to stay at the top. If daddy's a Harvard doctor, that kid feels some pressure. Or if you're at the very bottom, and you're trying to work your way through the ranks, all of that comes with snares and your abilities, and I have to produce, and I have to prove, and I have to do, and I have to do, and I have to do, and if I do this, these people like me, I have to do this. That's bondage. I come to the cross. And look, I've been there. I felt like I had things to prove for years. I gotta prove myself. I gotta prove myself. I gotta prove myself. It was mean playing sports because I thought I had to be tougher than that guy. And it put anger and anger and malice in my heart because I wanted to prove something. See, when you come to Christ, He hung on the cross and said, It's finished, right? None of you, if you are in Christ. Have anything to prove. That's freedom. Without that, you don't have freedom. You're running the rat race, or however you want to analogy you want to use. So this is my question. Because I've been there, this is my question. Are you free? Are you free? Or do you get up every morning feeling like you got something to prove? I got something to prove. I got something to prove. Matthew was highly successful. And highly educated. To be in the position he would have been in, he had to be. He had the favor of Rome. Rome trusted him with money. You imagine the bondage of having to work for that slave. When he came to Christ, he said, Oh, freedom. Amen? Be free in Christ. Be free. Be free. It's your greatest identity, saved by grace through faith. All right, let's keep looking here. So we see why those names are in Matthew chapter 1. He saw himself in that genealogy with those other people. And we we should all see ourselves there. All right, back to Matthew 1. Verse 12. Let me read verse 11 first. Josiah begot Jeconia and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. That should read verse 11. I think it says verse 12 in your notes. About the time they were carried away to Babylon. You are seeing the end of an independent country. This is the end of the Israeli monarchy sitting on the throne. It's over. Even today there's no more. It doesn't exist like that. Israel exists by the grace of God, but they're not a monarchy. There's the end. Let's read that in 2nd Chronicles so we understand this. 2nd Chronicles 36. 36:19. 36, then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its places its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword were carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the king of Persia. Remember Nebuchadnezzar and all that Babylon, y'all know that history to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. One of the many reasons, idolatry being the number one, the people carried into captivity because from the onset of the Ten Commandments, they thought one wasn't important. They did not rest. Sabbath means rest, not Sunday. But find your day to rest. Sunday is not my rest day. I have a Friday's my rest day. Are we trying? Until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, as long as she lay desolate, she kept sabbaths until to fulfill the what? Seventy years. Why in the world is Babylon in the first book written of the first New te- of, of the first chapter of Matthew, the first gospel written? Why is Babylon in there three times? That bug y'all, like, why is that in there? (laughs) It bugs me, like, why is that in there? Probably for many reasons, some of which I do not know, I don't have all revelation, but let me show you one I didn't know. Psalms 90, verse 10. The days of our lives are what? Seventy years. And if by reason of strength they're eighty... If you're healthy and you run a lot and you eat all your vegetables, maybe you'll make 80. Even today in our technological 21st century America, I think the mortality rate's right in the 70s. It's like 72 or 4. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. From the moment we read in history in 2 Chronicles, you got to think about Israeli people. From the moment we read that in Second Chronicles, to the moment Matthew reads it, they have lived in nothing but bondage. That's all they know, right? And in fact, how would you like to be the king when it all goes bad on your watch, huh? You ever been at work and you press the button that blew the machine up? Yeah. Oh, no, I just erased 10 years of data. Lord, please come back now. Please come back now, Lord, right now. Econia lost it all. And in fact, it says, you're the last one. Jeremiah prophesied none of your kids will sit on the throne. You'll have kids, and those kids will grow up in bondage all their life. That's all they'll know. You'll only have to tell them stories about how daddy was the king. Because what they'll know, and only what they'll know of you, is bondage. I believe Babylon is in there to show us the great bondage of sin. And, in a way, Babylon is what we live in, this planet. Romans says that this whole earth groans like a woman in travail to be set free. I think the the glory of heaven is so great... The comparison of the greatest day on this planet is like Babylon next to being with Jesus. This is why. Not because your back won't hurt anymore. Praise God, it won't. Not because all pain and sorrow will be ended. That's right, though. But because heaven is a place with no sin. Sinless perfection. And Babylon is the picture of sin. And heaven is a place of perfect perfection perfection. I think that's the picture that Matthew is trying to paint to the people who have been in bondage for all these years. This Christ is your freedom all away from Babylon into current day Rome and into the future. That's the picture he's trying to paint there. Let's keep going. So, this king grows up in bondage. Sorry, he goes to bondage, his whole family grows up in bondage. So, what happens in Babylon? Why is that in Matthew 1? That's in Matthew 1, so we can read Jeremiah 52. We're going to read this one now, instead of at the end, like I told Taylor. Don't want to mess you up, (laughs) I don't want you to walk up right now. Jeremiah 52. The very end, the largest book by volume of a prophet in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 52:31. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of what? 37th year of what? Captivity. 37 years in Babylon. The last king of Israel is old by now. He used to be young and strong, not anymore. He still kept his wife or wives, and he had children. They're recorded that they grew up in Babylon. This name is a little different than the one in Matthew because that's the Hebrew, but what we're reading in Matthew is the same person. I double-checked it with Easton's Bible Dictionary, and if he's wrong, then we're all wrong. (laughs) That's the same person. Jehoiachin, it's pronounced, king of Judah in the 12th month of the 25th day of the month. That, I know that sounds like a Star Wars uh, bad guy. Evil Moradash, king of Babylon in the first year of his reign. Keep going and look at this. Lifted up the head of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and did what? Not only have you been in Babylon, but you've been in prison for 37 years. 37 years. And all your kids know of you is daddy Hughes used to be king who's in prison. And, they, and the kings did that commonly to let everyone know that that guy's not in charge anymore. I am. I rule and reign. But the Lord actually rules and reigns. And he moves the hearts of man and he raises up nations and makes them fall. And he took that king and he said, Nope, you're going to change that. And he brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachim changed from his prison garments. Now you're getting closer to salvation. Now you're seeing the picture. Because if you tell a bunch of Jews who were in bondage to multiple countries in Rome that your Savior is there and the Savior doesn't set them all free, they're like, what's the deal? Oh, he's going to set you free, but it's much bigger than just Rome. At least we have a heart like Judas. And he changed him from his prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king. Oh, now this sounds like heaven and the, the marriage supper of the lamb all the days of his life. And as for his possessions, there was a regular ration given to him by who? The king, only the best, only the best. And a portion for each day until the day of his death, all the days of his life. Now that, for Jewish people, would help them to understand the freedom that comes in Christ alone no matter what bondage had been and how long they had been in it, they would understand that God set them free there and that the anointed one is going to set us all free. So what does this mean for us? Number three on your notes. Confidence in suffering. Confidence in suffering is a vital part of your Christian faith. Because this planet is Babylon. Y'all, we need to understand that. Paul said, the glory that shall be revealed cannot even be compared. You cannot comprehend how wonderful the sinless heaven is compared to this Babylon on this planet. And if you live on it 70 years and your best days, it's still Babylon. But you serve the anointed one who saved you. Perspective is worth a lot of money. Confidence in suffering is vital for Christmas and your Christian life. If, you don't, if we don't understand that, then we will be bitter or angry or put our hands up and say, I'm done, or get mad at someone or whatever. But this is freedom. I don't care if Rome's ruling or anyone else. I'm above all that. Amen? All right. Let's end with a story here. Grow out your sideburns. Let's go to 1979. To a tugboat named Cahaba in the great state of Alabama, USA. I'm going to show you the first picture. This is a tugboat. He's pushing coal up the river, and the river's flood stage. He pushes it past the bridge, and he puts it on the shore but the, the, tug, the, um, the load comes loo- loose and knocks the tugboat sideways, and he doesn't have the power in that rushing river to stay away from that bridge. It smashes him against the bridge. doesn't break the bridge. What it's going to do is begin to do this. The boat's turning, and the boat's going under. It's going to take the boat all the way under, as the onlookers are shocked and awe, they run off the bridge. They think the bridge is going to collapse. And then, of course, there's someone in the boat, a couple of few someones. So they run to the other side and look what's happening. <laughs> the boat does a complete barrel roll under the bridge and comes up on the other side. Keep going. It's going to empty out of water. Oh, someone saw something. The engine was still running. The engine was still running. It's going to come right back up, and it's going to be just fine. That's not the amazing part. The amazing part, according to multiple witnesses, was the captain who was drenching wet when he came up on the other side with both hands on the steering wheel and the engines on full gun, holding on as that boat came back up out of the water and tugged back down the river. The captain said, I knew we would come out on the other side. The onlookers were amazed, but the captain knew I would be fine because what the captain knew is everyone on the bridge didn't know that that boat had, was ballast, which is a nautical term, a marine term, that they laid a meter thick of concrete, poured it when they built that boat, on the bottom of that boat, so if that ever happened, it would always come back up on top. It could hit a wave sideways, do a complete, complete barrel roll, and come back up just like that. Now that is confidence in suffering. Amen? You Christians, you have this sure foundation from Abraham throughout time and history. There is no river that has overtaken you. You hold on to the faith in Jesus Christ. You know that he will see you through because you are on the sure foundation. We should have greater confidence than that captain in saying, my Christ, my Savior, my God, I will hold on no matter what's going on. It's what Matthew said. It's what all Christians say. That's what we say. Let it come, for he will deliver me from this river. I have no worries at all, because I know what's underneath me. Amen? Let's stand up. Let's spend some time with Jesus. Come on, let's just spend some time with him. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. Think about Matthew, how he came to the Lord, how he understood that Rome was not greater, than the rejection he suffered under the Jews, but he had found the anointed one, the Christ. He had found salvation by faith alone. He had found his identity. He had found his Lord and Savior. He saw all throughout history, this is so important, Israel was never forsaken. God's sovereign hand was over it even then when it looked like it was Rome. It was not, it was God. And you Christians in your pressure and difficulty need to understand the sovereign hand of God rules and reigns in your life if you have come to the cross and given him your life. Nothing else. And Matthew said, oh, it's been God all along. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I did not know it. That's what Christmas is about. That's what everything's about. Now let's spend some time with Jesus, just worshiping him, just reflecting on his word. Maybe you've been shaken, soaking wet, pulled under the current of life. You just grab a hold of the wheel. His name is Jesus. He rules and reigns. And that short deluge will pass. And you'll come up on the other side. Victorious. Astonished. Astonishment will be the reaction of all those who saw you. And your testimony will be great. Come on, let's worship you. them. no greater love than this your mercy oh yes lord thank you that matthew got to experience it but not just matthew but all those that are in christ as we close remember how did matthew 1 1 start out jesus the christ the son of david the son of abraham right jesus the anointed so he starts the entire family, or genealogy of Israel, with Christ. And he ends it in Matthew 1.16 with what? Matthew 1.16. Give him a minute to pull that up. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born to Jesus, the family of God from beginning to end, Christ, Christ from beginning to end in Israel's family and genealogy, and that's our prayer for yours also. Grab a family member or someone next to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent the anointed one, Jesus. And our prayer this holiday season is to experience you, the Christ, not just to sing songs. Not just to hear Jesus more often than normal, but to say, Jesus, my Christ, my anointed, my prophet, my priest, and my king. That is what we want in our family, in our hearts, and in all we come in contact with. We want to proclaim it as well, as consistently, and with such a conviction and a record as Matthew. That's our prayer today, Lord. Let us proclaim it with such clarity and such precision as Matthew did. Let us proclaim our salvation by your marvelous grace when we put our faith in you. And in every trial and tribulation, let that proclaim confidence in our suffering, confidence in our difficulty, confidence in this Babylon, this fallen world. But you are above it all. And you have raised us up and called us sons and daughters through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And in, in everyone unanimously says amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.